So yesterday we went through one section of this Mimer. In the section of the Mimer that we did yesterday, it explained that the Yidin by Matan Teirah <coughs> merited Matan Teirah as a result of saying Nasev and Ishma. And what brought them to a state that they were able to have such deep bittle to say Nasev and Ishma was Galus Mitzrayim. But that itself wasn't enough because they also needed the emotional maturity to be able to say Nasev and Ishma. How did they achieve that maturity? Through Hashem holding a mountain over their heads. When Hashem held the mountain over the Yidin's heads, that was Hashem expressing his deep love for every Yid and catching, so to speak, each Yid inside of his embrace. And Hashem said to each and every Jew, I love you. And Hashem showed his deep love to each Jew. A love which was so overpowering, <laughs> that our response was immediate. And we responded to Hashem also with an I love you in return. We also expressed to Hashem our love for Him. But this creates a problem. As I've shared with you in the past, that Manus Friedman says that the most important beginning of a new marriage is after the first fight or something along those lines. Most important one? Beginning of a new marriage is after the first fight. What does that mean? As long as the chas and kala are standing under the chuppah and there's the romantic music playing in the background and all of their friends that came to celebrate and the confetti is flying and the drinks are flowing and the good food is piling up on the tables. So for them to treat each other with love and respect and affection is easy, so to speak. But what happens when they go home and the baby's crying and the dishes are dirty and the garbage needs to be taken out? The bills need to be paid. Can they still express their love to each other? Can they still treat each other with that affection that they felt when they were under the chuppah? Or are they going to start snapping at each other and arguing? That's the true test for a marriage. That's where you recognize and see whether the marriage is really built on a strong foundation or not. So that's the point that we said yesterday. 
that holding the mountain over her heads wasn't a threat to kill. Chas it, nice it was a huge embrace. It was a hug. And that hug was a hug which pulled us into Hashem's love. In other words, to, the idea that Hashem was telling us, I'm going to drop this mountain on your heads and kill you if you don't accept the terror is a misconception. That's not what Hashem was doing. Hashem was expressing how deeply He loves us and demonstrating that love. But that what that makes Har Sinai is like a chuppah over our heads. Like a chasen and kala standing under a chuppah. And indeed, we responded as a kala. We're the kala, Hashem is the chasen. We responded as a kala with kvaysa nefesh. And we said, we swooned and said, of course, Hashem, we love you too. And that's like we said yesterday, I'll call deeper vidiber parcha nishmasam. Every time Hashem spoke, our nishamis left our body and we all fainted. And we needed the angels to come and revive us in order to bring that energy back. But this is because Hashem was demonstrating his love. This is the idea that we're explaining over here in the Nightmare. It wasn't a negative thing, it was a positive thing and a beautiful thing. But the remains because as long as we're standing under the chuppah and Hashem is expressing that love for us, of course we're going to say to Hashem, I love you too. But what about when we come home and we're facing all the anti-Semitism around us? And when we wake up in the morning, our pillow is luring us to stay in bed. And when we're davening, our thoughts are wandering to the nethermost regions of the world. And so on and so forth. Every time it comes to doing a mitzvah, to giving tzedakah, it's difficult for us to separate ourselves from our money and give it to tzedakah. And the, when it comes to <clears throat> learning Torah, we'd rather just schmooze with our chavrusa instead of schwitzing over understanding the teisvis. And on and on. What about when things are difficult and when we don't feel that overwhelming love of Hashem? Now, of course, if we were sitting b'chavrusa and studying and suddenly we felt that love of Hashem, we would be on fire. We would be focusing on the Teisvis like never before. We would be so enthusiastic and so focused, so driven, that we wouldn't even think of speaking a word of Devarim B'Telem. But the problem is that that's not our daily experience. We don't have that kaffa aleim arkegigis, that expression of Hashem's love, that demonstration of Hashem's deep connection to us on a daily basis. We have to fight, we have to struggle, we have to work hard. So what do we do then? So therefore, when our neshama goes up above, and the malach over there who's in charge says, how come you didn't do this, and you didn't do that, and you did this, and you did that. 
And we say to the Malach, because Yitzray who shall talk by, our Yitzray Hara pulled us in the wrong direction. And the Malach says to us, but you said Nasavanishma. What kind of business is this? How dare you stray from your commitment? And we respond to the Malach, sure, we said Nasa v'nishma. Of course we said Nasa v'nishma. We said Nasa v'nishma when we were standing by our Sinai. But then we went home. And then our circumstances drastically changed. And then it became much more difficult to say Nasa v'nishma. So what do you want from us now? How are we supposed to, in these circumstances, express our love still. But the Gemara over there says, in the same place where the Gemara says that there's an excuse, the Gemara says, but that excuse is no longer valid. Why not? I'm sorry, Misha. Why not? Because va'afal pikein hader kablua b'ratzin gomer b'meach hashverish. Nevertheless, the Jews then accepted the the Torah with complete ratzin, with complete desire, the top of the second column. In the days of because there was Mesira Snafesh by every single Jew by themselves. Every single Jew, so to speak, said Nasa Vinishma during the days of Achashverish as well, and then it was from them alone. Before I take questions, let me just explain this briefly, and we're going to go into it much more. During the days of Achashverish, the Jews faced the greatest existential threat that we've ever faced in our entire history. And we've certainly faced some very significant threats throughout our history. Never was the threat as great as during the days of Achashverish. And this was because Mitzrayim, we weren't yet a nation. Because the whole nation was under Achashverosh. Achashverosh was a Moshal Bekipa. He ruled over the whole entire world. The whole inhabited world at the time. And the Jews were very clearly defined. And Achashverosh threatened to wipe them out in a short amount of time. He was employing all of the anti-Semites all over the world. And as we know, there are plenty. There's no shortage of them. And he was employing all of them to kill all of the Jews in this very small window of time so that uh, they, should, they shouldn't be able to ex- escape. One, two, three, Rahman al-Lutzlan, we would have all been annihilated. And yet, the Jews at the time continued to stand strong in their Jewish identity. They continued to be proud Jews. The truth is that there was only one escape 
from Achashverosh's decree. Do you know what the one escape from Achashverosh's decree would have been? What? Conversion. Conversion. To say I'm no longer a Jew. To give up their Judaism. If they would give up their Judaism, then they're taking this target off of their backs. Not only did not even one single Jew even have a thought of giving up their religion, as we're going to learn in this Mimer, the Jews did the opposite. They flaunted their Judaism. They walked around with Jewish pride. They said, we're Jewish no matter what. Now this certainly was not a chuppah. There's nothing romantic about this. There's nothing exciting about this. There's nothing that expressed Hashem's love and care specifically for the Jewish nation. On the contrary, we felt like a neglected nation, or at least we seemed like a neglected nation. We seemed like ones that were being tossed on the side. And yet the Jews said, listen, we are Jews to our very essence. Our breath is Jewish, our life is Jewish, our identity is Jewish, and that's never going to change. And you could threaten us with whatever you want to threaten us, but our Jewish identity will remain the same. And we're going to stand strong with Torah and Mitzvahs as the Jews. Then, not only did they not weaken their observance of Judaism, on the contrary, they started wearing tefillin and tzitzis and yarmulkes and all sorts of things, just like we see other times, unfortunately, when we face danger, how this is the common reaction amongst Yidin, that they are ready to take on more mitzvahs. How many Yidin started wearing tzitzis as a result of the dangers which we are facing in Eretz Yisrael? And we should see more nisim, like the nisim that occurred yesterday, where two hostages we're freed finally. We should have not just those two, but all of them freed and all of the enemies ab- obliterated and eliminated. But we, every time we face danger, we see how Yidin react in this way. The Hadar Kablua Bimeachashverish. The Jews said, We're not just Jewish because we're standing under a chuppah. We're not just Jewish because of the romantic music playing in the background. We're Jewish because that's our essence, that's our lives, that's our identities, that's ourselves, and that's never going to change. And when this was expressed, then we no longer have an excuse. And then, Meisha, when the rabbi screams at you, why Why did you sleep in this morning? And you say, because I never really said Nasa Vinishma in the circumstances of a nice comfortable bed with a fluffy pillow. And the answer is, yes, you did. You did by Purim, by the miracle of Purim, and many other times as well. Let's read this just inside one more time. V'afal pikein, nevertheless, hadr v'kiblua b'ratzin gomor b'meachashveris, the Jews then accepted the Torah with complete ratzin in the days of Achashverosh. Shahaya Mesir Snefesh Bechal Yisrael Ba'atzmam. Then there was Mesir Snefesh by all of the Jews from themselves. Shaloi al Yedei His Eiris Milmaila Betchila. Without an arousal from above first. Al Derech Gilui Bechinas Viminet Chabkeni. There was no 
Giloy revelation during that time of the Yemina Techabkene of the Ebishter's right hand embracing us. The Ha, because Az Hayabichinas Hester Panim. Then it was a time of concealment. Hashem was hiding his face. Al Derech, like it says in Kayalas, it says, Eis Lechabik, there's a time to embrace, Veis Lerachik Mechabik. And there's a time to distance from embrace. As we know in marriages, that there's to, to, from an embrace. Lerachik, to distance, to go away from an embrace. There's a time when of closeness and a time of distance. And the time of, of um, uh, Purim, the time of Achashverish, during the Gzeir, obviously after the miracle was a whole different story, but during the decree of Achashverish was a time of Lerachik Mechabek. It was a time of when Hashem was distancing Himself from us, when Hashem was hiding Himself from us, when Hashem was concealed from us. Ukemaimer Razal as our sages teach us, it's interesting in the Gemara, the Gemara finds a hint in Psukim for each of the names of the heroes of the Purim story. For Mardukhai, as we're going to see, for Haman, and for Esther. So it says, <laughs> Esther min ha minayin, where is Esther hinted in the Torah? And it says, Diksiv, because it says in the verse, Va'anoichi haster, aster, in the end of Dvarim, Hashem speaks in prophecy through Meishu Rabbeinu. And Hashem says that I will indeed hide my face on that day. Haster, aster. I will indeed hide my face. And a double lotion of concealment, a double language of concealment. The time of Purim was a time of deep concealment. When Hashem was aster, was hiding himself. And as explained, the concealment was a double concealment because even the concealment was concealed. That means that sometimes I might hide in the closet, but while I'm hiding in the closet, I'm giving instructions from the closet. You know how you play hide-and-go-seek with your children? And uh, they, they, they're hiding, and they say, yeah, you can't find me, or I'm over here, or something like that while they're hiding. So, yes, they're hiding, but their hiddenness, their hiding, is in a way that you're able to see them hiding. But the double concealment is that even the concealment is concealed. That means that you're not even able to recognize that Hashem is hiding. That's how deeply, that's how far Hashem is hiding Himself from us. By Yehimahu, on that day, that refers specifically to the time of Purim. So we don't have a, a, a hug, we don't have an embrace, we have a distance, a cold shoulder, so to speak. And yet, despite the cold shoulder, the Jews continued to express that we are Jews, no matter what. If so, So then clearly, the miracle of Purim, the Jews behavior during Purim was in a way, in a level of Isarusa de Lasata, an arousal from below. Mitzad Atzmam on their own, without a tickle, without an arousal, without a waking up from above. Vizehu 
Hadar Kiblua Biratsin Gamar. This is the meaning of the Jews then accepted the Torah Biratsin Gamar with complete will. This is what took place by Matan Torah when the Jews by the days of Purim when Kimu Mashekiblu Kvar. They upheld that which they already accepted. That's after the first fight. Matan Torah was a chuppah. Purim was the first fight. And when the Jews upheld that which they already accepted, so then the marriage was solidified, so to speak. <laughs> then it was properly concretized. And then, from then on, there's no longer any excuses. Now we have to keep the Torah. One second. Yes. Uh, all the Jewish lawyers. That's for sure. You're going to be only good. Everything will be good. Everything will be good. Yeah. Oh, what's under this understanding? What's our understanding of the word kagigas? Kagigas, like a barrel which surrounds a person, okay. like a hug which surrounds a person. And on uh, on this idea that um, the, the the concealment of of perm is it more so now or less so? The concealment. Yeah. The concealment now is as deep as it gets. So in every way, worse. Than in the bedroom? Yeah. In, in, in many ways, it's worse than, than during Purim. And the reason why it's worse than during Purim is because Purim, they were in a closer proximity to um, uh, a time when the Beis HaMikdash was standing. There were people during that generation that had seen the Beis HaMikdash and so on and so forth. And the concealment which we're in now is definitely a doubled concealment. It's from the most difficult times. About the time just before Mashiach comes, it's the, 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 the Chachamim that expressed themselves in the Gemara that let it come, but let me not be there. Let me not be a part of it. I don't want to have to experience such things. But yet, despite the concealment which we're in, we see how there's constantly this spark of Jewish identity, of Jewish pride, of Jewish growth. And uh, that's still that very same expression. And we should see more of, of it, Be'ezus Hashem. Mm. Korean. Can I relate this idea with the reason that Hashem's name doesn't appear in the Megillah? Absolutely. Absolutely. The um, fact that Hashem's name doesn't appear in the Megillah, because that is an expression of Hashem's concealment during the time of Purim. In fact, in that expression, you have an expression of Hashem's concealment even in the miracle. That even the miracle was somewhat concealed. But okay, that's not for right now. We'll, we'll come back to it. Let's continue a little bit in the Mimer. Now, we, now that we came back to Purim, we continue to explain 
how we're able to see this theme in the holiday of Purim. And basically, what the Alter Rebbe is going to teach to us now is that this resurgence of Jewish pride, despite the concealment during the decree of Haman, the decree during the holiday of Purim, is something which is what the holiday is all about. When we're celebrating Purim, it's not just as the world likes to say, that we're saying, they tried to kill us, they failed, let's eat. Or on Purim, let's drink. That, that's not what it's all about. There's much more to it. Purim is a very unique and special day, a fundamental day in our calendar, because it's a day which solidifies our Jewish identities like no other day in the calendar, more so than Pesach when we left Egypt, more so than Shavuos when we received the Torah, and so on and so forth. Purim is a day where we expressed that we are Yidin no matter what, and we will continue to be Yidin no matter what. So this is the importance of the day, and the celebration of the holiday of Purim, which some people think is just a, let's just let loose and enjoy one day in the calendar. Let's have one party day. We have all these serious days. We have Yom Kippur where we fast and Rosh Hashanah where we ask Hashem to roll over us and uh, so on and so forth. Let's have one day where we can party. Mesha agrees, but that's not what Purim is. On the contrary, Purim is a holy day, a deep expression of Judaism. And in whatever celebration we are using to recognize the day of Purim, there has to be that underlying tone, that underlying message of that this is a day when we're re-accepting the Torah. And let's see more how that's occurring. Ubir Ha'inyin will understand this idea. Ubir Ha'inyin Yuvam, we could explain this. According to that which it says in the verse. It says, Ish Yehudi Haya Bishushan Habira Ushmoy Mardechai Ben Shimi Ben Kish Ish Yemini Right? We all say this verse out loud when the Chazin reads the Megillah, when the Balkair reads the Megillah. We say this verse out loud before the Chazin says it. We say, Ish Yehudi, there was a Jewish man, Ushmoy Mardechai, his name was Mardechai, Ish Yemini. Now what does Ish Yemini mean? So the simple translation is a man from the tribe of Binyamin. But let's look back at the beginning of the verse. Ish Yehudi. What does Ish Yehudi mean? Yehuda. A man from the tribe of Yehuda. So which was he? Was he from the tribe of Yehuda or the tribe of Binyamin? He's having an identity crisis over here. Who, who, who is Mordechai? So the answer to this question is that when it says Ish Yehudi, it doesn't mean a, tri- a man from the tribe of Yehuda. What does it mean? A Jew. Jew. And this term, Jew, the Megillah is the first time 
that we find that that term is used. A Jew. Jew from Judah. We're called all Jews, even if we're from the tribe of Binyamin or Menashe or Ephraim or whichever tribe we come from. We're called Jews. Why are we all called Jews? Because that's what the holiday of Purim was all about. And from then on, we're all called Jews because of what was expressed during the holiday of Purim. Let's read this inside. We have to understand the Yemini, the term Yemini, its explanation is that he came from the tribe of Binyamin. As Rashi explains, why is he called a Yehudi? Dehu al Shem Shevet Yehuda. Seemingly, Yehudi comes from the language of Shevet Yehuda. Amen. Gam We also have to understand the Big Zeras Haman in the decree of Haman Nemar. It says Lahashmid Lareg Ulaabed Eskol Hayehudim. Haman vowed lahashmid to uproot larig to kill ulaabed and to destroy as kola yehudim any judas any people from the tribe of yehuda is that the only people he wanted to destroy the jews from the tribe of yehuda Varei b'sheva ve'esrimu meya malchus achashverish in the 127 kingdoms, countries which achashverish ruled over. Hayagam mikol hashvatim. There were also Jews from other tribes, Ephraim, Umanasha, and Binyamin, obviously, and so on and so forth. Why is it specifically the Yehudim, the Jews, that that Haman vowed to destroy. So the Maimir explains, because this term Jew captures the essence of what the holiday of Purim is all about. It captures the essence of what irks Haman so much about us. It captures the essence of why we invite anti-Semitism upon ourselves so frequently. Why is it that the non-Jews hate us so much? What bothers them about us? What disturbs them so much? How is it that in the UN, which is supposed to be the representation of all the 70 nations of the world, the single most um, chastised most uh, what, what's the resolutioned most um, uh, what condemned people is Israel and from the way that they speak and the way that so many speak across the world you would think that Israel is the place where human rights are the, 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 have the greatest atrocities and the worst um uh, the, the worst infractions that you could imagine. You would think that Israel is a third world country that, what, what is it? That we, we all know the truth. We all know that Israel is the, the greatest democracy in the whole entire world. Greater than even America, which it tries to mold itself from. 
And yes, they make mistakes, but despite the mistakes that they made, they make their care of human life and their their care of helping people and so on and so forth is greater than in any other country in the whole entire world. And there are so many countries where they're just, they, they behave like wild animals to their own citizens. And yet none of these countries are in the crosshairs of the UN. Israel, 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 Israel. You think like, get over it already. How many decades is it that they're, they're, they're continuing to condemn Israel again and again? What is it? Why does Israel invite upon itself so much focus, so much attention, so much condemnation? And the answer is because we're Jews. Because we're Yehudim. Because we're Ish Yehudi. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's what separates us from the nations. And once we're separated from the nations, so obviously it's the one who is separated that's going to be teased, that's going to be highlighted, that's going to be chased after, that's going to be bullied. That's the... The, 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 the answer is what comes up over here in the Megillah, Ish Yehudi Eskala Yehudim. That's the answer to the question. Let's read inside. Ella Shenikru Kulam Yehudim. The reason why we're called Jews is Mepnei Bechinas Habitol Sheyashbahem Le'er in Seif Baruchu. It's because of something innate that we have that doesn't exist by any other person on earth. And that is an innate bittel to Hashem. An innate connection to Hashem, as we've described earlier in the Maimer, which is why it's specifically to Yidin that the Torah was given, because only a Yid is able to appreciate the muscle, the analogy to Hashem's infinity that exists inside of the Torah. So because of this innate bittel that we feel, to our insafe baruch, to the infinite light of Hashem, blessed be He, that's what separates us from everyone else. And it's that separation that invites so much condemnation. As we say in Shemayna Esrei, that we, uh, 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 we, we submit to Hashem, and we bow down all the way in a way that we're completely giving ourselves over to Hashem. Shal Shem Zeh Nikra Yehudi. This is where the name Yehudi comes from. Kamesha Amar Leah, like Leah said when she named Yehuda with this name Yehuda, Hapam Oide Es Hashem. This time I'm going to thank Hashem. Hapam Oide. What's a thank? Why do people find it so difficult to say thank you? Have you noticed that people have a very strong difficulty to say thank you? Every time they say thank you, it comes with a whole drasha of why they really deserved what they're saying thank you for, and so on and so forth. And if they can't come up with a drasha, they just avoid the person. They're afraid of the person. They like try to hide. What's so difficult about thank you? Because in thank you, what I'm saying is, I owe you one. I owe you. 
if I'm truly thanking you, if I'm saying thank you with a true expression of gratitude, what I'm saying is, I have a sense of bittel to you, I owe you. And it's very difficult for a person to feel a submission to someone else. So the concept of Haida, of thanks, is very much concept connected to the concept of Meida, which we say when we wake up in the morning, the thank you, and it's also a submission, a admission. I admit that you are correct, that you are master, that you are the one who is right. And this is what Leah expressed when Yehuda was born. Hapam oides Hashem. I owe Hashem now, so to speak. Now? Hapam. Now, after this is my fourth child which is born, now already my thanks, my appreciation, my recognition of how kind Hashem is to me um, goes over all norms, all um, regulation. That was what she expressed with Yehuda. Alkain, therefore, Karishma Yehuda. Velachain Nikra, Mardchai Ish Yehudi. And this is why Mardchai was called Ish Yehudi. Why was Mardchai called Ish Yehudi? Because Mardchai led the Jewish people in this feeling of bittel, in this feeling of giving themselves over to Hashem. Now, we mentioned earlier that this feeling of bittel was an essential ingredient for us to be able to receive the Torah. It's because we opened ourselves up, we made room inside of ourselves that the Ur Ein Saif, which is completely outside of any structure of the world, was able to fit inside of us, inside of our limited structure, it's because of our bittel that we could build a home for Hashem and make a dira le'yisbarach v'tachtenu. This is the essential ingredient of Matan Torah. On Purim, when the Jews reaffirmed their connection to Torah, we're reading over here, they also had that bittel. And that bittel was led by their Rebbe, by the Rebbe of the generation, Mordechai HaTzadik. Mardchai Yatzadik was the Reish Bnei Yisrael who led the Jews during that time. And as their leader, he inspired in them this feeling of complete bittel, of Yehuda. And that's why he was called Ish Yehudi, because he was the Ish, the leader of all of the Yehudim and the feeling of Yehudi that existed by every single Jew. Peirush Sar La Yehudim, a minister for the Jews. Ish Har We find the verse which says Ish Har That means the guy who was in charge of Har So to Ish Yehudi means the one who was in charge of the Yehudi feeling that exists by every single Jew. Kihu Haya Mikar because he Mardechai was the source of the bittel that all of the Jews felt during that time. Now we're going to say, see again, just like we saw earlier, Esther Minatera Minayim. Now we're going to see Mardechai Minatera Minayim. Where is Mardechai hinted in the Torah? What's the hint for Mardechai in the Torah? And the answer is, it says in the verse, Murderer. Murderer. 
It says in the Pasuk, murderer. Murderer is one of the spices which was used in the Ketairis. And umetargeminon, the translation of these words, murderer, is mira dachya. Mira dachya means um, uh, it's Aramaic, that's the Targum, pure mir. The mir. M-Y-H-R-R. So mira dachya. So this is what Mardukha is hinted in. Umar Ladasa Rambam Usha'ar Mefarshim Hu Mushak. You know the term Chaya Mushka? What's Mushka? So Mushka is from this word Mushak. Mushak is Mir, according to the opinion of the Rambam and many others. Hanizkar b'Gemara b'Perakets and Mevarchim. It's mentioned in the Gemara in the per- in, in, in the chapter of Kets and Mevarchim. Now, where does this Mushak come from? So, according to these opinions, Shahu Dam Chaya. It's the blood of a certain Chaya, which is called the Yodua. Shenikra Shenikrash Nikrash, it congeals inside of the chatetris shabitzavara, inside of the windpipe or the, the pipe inside of its throat, venasa baisem, and then it's turned into a spice. Hanikra mar. That's what's called mar. That's where it comes from. Now, what does that mean practically? So the Mimer says, Vahainu bimidas anefesh, in the um, in the Aveda that we do, what this is, is Bchinas Iskafia. The idea of Iskafia, and specifically Ishapcha, the transformation of Mimiriu Lemisko from bitter to sweet. The Mir, the word Mir, murderer, is like Mar, bitter. And when you turn it over into a um, spice with this sweet, delicious smell, then you're turning it over into something sweet. So the ishapcha mimiriru lemiska, the transformation from bitter to sweet, is represented in this mirror. Ki adam hua nefesh blood is the life energy that flows through someone. Nefesh hamisave, the nefesh, the, the, the soul, which desires is represented in the dam. When a person transforms his animalistic desires from desiring this world, which is bitter, it's essentially bitter. The pizza which we desire, the french fries, the ice cream, the steak, ultimately, it's all bitter. Why is it all bitter? See what happens to it. What happens after we eat it? Heartburn, stomach aches, um, uh, high blood pressure, and so on and so forth. So essentially it's bitter. 
the physicality of this world is bitter. It's a concealment of godliness. And when we transform the dam, the blood, nikrash, it congeals. When we transform the blood, the excitement, the taiva, the desire for the bitter, for the negativity, for the darkness, that instead, that our desire and our pleasure should be in Hashem instead, instead, in something which is sweet. Zehu inyan. This is what it means that we make it into a delicious spice, a wonderful, sweet-smelling spice, that we transform it completely. So this is Mardchai. Mardchai is the transformation of negative into positive. And this transformation is a transformation which can only take place through bittel, through this lifting up to something which is even higher than the negative. In other words, if we're limited to the parameters of that which is in the world around us, then that which is negative is negative, and how are you supposed to turn it over into positive? Something which is dark is not light. Something which is hurtful is not good. But when we connect to that which is higher, like we learned in, in Tanya on Shabbos, when we connect to the Yud K, when we connect to something which is higher, then we're able to transform even that which comes down here into this world and appears like it's not something which is good into something which is good. And that's why Mardukha is hinted in the murderer, which murderer is the bitterness, the bitterness that, uh, uh, that a person feels because of his separation from Hashem, which inspires bittal in him. And through that bittal, he's able to achieve this ishapcha. We'll continue. Uh, you know, let me see if I could read a little further. In this way, we're able to explain the machlekes, the argument which exists amongst the paiskim, amongst the halachic commentaries, Bimar Hanal, with regard to the above mentioned Mar, the, there's a question whether this Mar is permissible only to use in smelling spices, or are you actually allowed to use it as a food? Are you allowed to use it as an ingredient in food? What's the argument dependent on? It depends on how deep the transformation is. Because don't forget, where did the mar start off as? It started as the mo- as the most unkosher of unkosher things. No. What? Blood of a non-kosher animal. In the not, not according to this opinion. Blood of a non-kosher animal. And this blood of the non-kosher animal is transformed to such a great degree that you're allowed to use it in food? Let's read inside. According to this, we could explain the argument which we find with regard to this mar, Sharabenu Yaina, who is the author of Share Chuva. 
and therefore he is the one who taught. Not the, uh, according to some, Shari Tshuva is not just a book of instruction. It's a book of halacha. It teaches how you're supposed to do tshuva. And he is material. He permits it even to eat. But Vyash, there are other opinions that Oisrim that forbid it to be eaten. because they hold what was transformed. only its smell, its fragrance, Aval but its body itself. Asr Bachila is still forbidden to eat. Varav Rabbeinu Yaina Svirle, but Rabbeinu Yaina holds Shechazar Ligamri Liyais Heter that it returned completely to be permissible. You know that Chazal teach us why is the Chazer called the Chazer? Because it's going to return to be kosher. When Mashiach comes, we're going to be able to eat Chazer. I don't know who wants to eat it, but. <laughs> The, 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 that's why it's called a chazer. It's called a chazer because it's going to be chazer. It returned completely to be kosher, to, 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 to be completely permissible. As it says in the Torah, that this is something which is completely permit, permissible. Now, if we want to look at a deeper dimension to this argument, this argument is totally is dependent in an idea which is discussed in Tractate Yuma in the subject Gabichuva, in the subject of repentance. Because in the subject of repentance, we find two opinions. There's one opinion that says that when you repent, the willful sins that you did are now transformed into unwillful sins. In other words, sins that were done by mistake and therefore they're forgiven. But there's another opinion that says that through tshuva, the willful sins that you did are transformed into mitzvahs. How could you transform a sin into a mitzvah? How could you transform a chazer into something kosher? What? Time travel. Time travel. There's a story about a a woman who was ill, and the doctor prescribed for her that she needs to eat a certain part of a chazer, of a pig. So she went to the Rav, and she says to the Rav, some gesund, that she refuses to eat this chazer unless it's properly shechted. <laughs> the Rav says, okay, what's, she supposed to, what's he supposed to do? She needs to eat it, so he allowed it to be shechted for her. And as the sheichet was inspecting the lungs of this uh, of this pig, he found a shayla. So she brings the shayla to the Rav. And the Rav is inspecting it and looking at it, and he's looking and he's looking and he's thinking and he's looking and he's thinking, and he's just like, he's not, he's like trying to answer her, but he's not able to respond. So finally she says, what's the matter? So he says, what should I do? The question 
is not a question. But how am I supposed to say about the lungs of a pig that it's kosher? <laughs> how can I say such words? I can't say that it's kosher. I can't say that it's treif. It's not a problem. But how can I say that it's kosher? That I can't express. That I can't say. So there are certain times when things are so impure that you're going and you're looking at it, you're making a whole shaila about it. But how are you supposed to make an avera into a mitzvah? Sometimes we do that. We make our averas into mitzvahs. We, 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 we attach such an importance to the averas we do and we say it's a mitzvah for us to do this avera. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We need to watch this at this time. It's what Hashem wants me to be doing and whatever else nonsense the Yetzirah manages to convince us. Sometimes we put lipstick on a pig as the expression goes and we try to make the pig kosher. So how are we supposed to turn on a variant of mitzvah? Uh, I, I don't know. We'll answer tomorrow with a shamsa. So this represents, excellent question, this represents two methods with which Hashem conducts Himself with us. There's a method in which Hashem conducts Himself with us where He reveals Himself to us and He shows Himself to us and He connects to us and we feel part of Him. But that's not what we feel in our day-to-day lives. We don't see Hashem. We don't recognize Hashem. So from the holidays of the year, the holiday which gives us the most strength, the most invigoration, the most connection to relate to Hashem, it's Purim. Because Purim is the holiday where, despite Hashem's concealment, He saved us. And He showed that He's part of us and connected to us even in the concealment. So there is absolutely these two types of conduct, of behavior, of relationship that we have with Hashem. A a behavior through revelation and a behavior through concealment. And in the behavior through revelation, we learned about Hashem. Hashem introduced himself to us by Harsina and he said, I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of Mitzrayim. Hashem conducted miracles for us by Pesach, by Sukkot in the, in the desert, and so on and so forth. Hashem showed himself to us, he demonstrated himself to us. In the Beis HaMikdash, when we have the Beis HaMikdash standing, that's connected to Hashem's revelation. But Purim, is connected to Hashem's concealment. That's connected to our normal day-to-day lives. And yet, Hashem is still saying, I'm connected to you and you're connected to me. 
and we're saying to Hashem too, I'm connected to you and you're connected to me. So that's a, a holiday which has a special relationship to us. Good? Okay. Have a wonderful day.